0: But realistically, if we go to Disneyland next Monday, when are we going to record the podcast?
1: And skip a week.
0: I don't want to skip a week just for, because <sighs> we skipped a week for our vacation, but we didn't even yeah. skip a week for, like, my birthday.
1: We're going to record it Sunday, the day before, or something. It's like, all we do is record podcasts anymore.
0: <laughs> I'm so glad that you enjoyed this activity. Yep.
1: It's been almost two years now.
0: Welcome to Chronically Narnia, the podcast in which my co-host and I discuss the Chronicles of Narnia, chapter by chapter, and today we are discussing chapter 13 of The Silver Chair. This chapter is titled Underland Without the Queen. I am a pygmy hippopotamus, also known as Kristen, and this is my co-host,
1: I'm Corn Thunderfist, fighting underground. Also known as Chris.
0: Hi, Chris. <sighs> Welcome. I like your voice there.
1: Thank you. I believe, uh, when you're we not first... going to
0: keep that up for the No, whole I believe
1: time. when we first read about uh, Corin, I gave him an Australian accent for some reason. I, I
0: do believe that you did. You gave uh. him some kind of accent.
1: Um, But no, I'm not going to commit to keeping that up for the entire podcast.
0: All right. Well, I guess we'll just get into it then, since you're not going to keep the accent going. Um...
1: So I you'd love that.
0: Would absolutely love uh-huh. that, especially in editing. Uh-huh. Editing that would be great. Yeah. Very fun.
1: Anyway. Yeah. So How the first thing this?
0: we do <laughs> is you ask me. How do we start this?
1: We haven't bantered yet.
0: We have Really? Yeah. We haven't bantered? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You're going to talk with an accent the whole time? No, 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 no. no. I'm gonna, no, not going to do that. That wasn't banter?
1: I promise we like each other. That is a thing. (laughs)
0: Totally not banter.
1: Nope. Anyway.
0: (laughs) Anyway, after we banter, we read our summaries. Yep. We wrote our summaries as we were reading the chapter, and we selected five sentences out of the chapter, plucked them completely out of context, and are trying to summarize the plot of the chapter in the chapter's own words. Chris, would
1: you like to read yours first? Sure, I'll because do mine that first. Because that
0: way you can do your rewrite second, because mine is going to be a disappointment, and yours is going to be great. I'm
1: really excited about my rewrite. All right, but um, summary, go. Alright, here's my summary. What the Earthmen would say if he went down to the harbor without the witch and with three strangers and simply ordered a ship, no one could guess. When our swords hacked off the witch's head, that stroke ended all her magic works, and now the deep... Are- And now the deep lands are falling to pieces then with a great echo of hoofs they rode out of the main gateway onto the street do you who have long arms take one alive if you may as it passes your ambush it gave a huge sigh of relief and added why then your honor is a friend
0: I like your summary. I feel like you got sentences that I didn't even see in there. <laughs> like when our swords hacked off the head, like the witch's head. Uh-huh. That sentence is so great for a summary in this one.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Like I, I couldn't find a sentence that summarized it as well as that. I'll
1: read more carefully.
0: <laughs> well, I also read it and then didn't actually sit down and do my summary for like two days after reading it. So, uh-huh. and I didn't want to reread the whole thing because I such a
1: long chapter
0: lazy and it is such a long <laughs> chapter uh-huh. here's my summary then came rumblings and rushings the shield had turned bright and silver and on it redder than blood or cherries was the figure of the lion his plan was to get round the fire if it was a fire onto high ground in hope that they might find their way to the new diggings. The queen's grace, as you call her, said the prince sternly, is dead. It gave a huge sigh of relief and added, why then, your honor is a friend.
1: Yeah, look, we had that one in common. Yep. All right. So, um... What I wanted to do to start out with chapter, and I didn't because I ran out of time and was also lazy, was I wanted to rewrite this entire chapter um, <laughs> as a 150 word um, short story. Okay. Or like just like a page on a word document, because I feel like I could do that. I feel like you could take everything that this cha- this chapter has to offer and distill it down into a single page. Okay. Um, and that's, that's my issue here. And I'm going to complain about it a lot, but like, this is a standard length chapter in which we have a lot of descriptive words and it seems like a lot of things happen, but nothing really happens. Yeah. Um, there's just a lot of description about what is going on around the characters. Yeah. Um, which is fine, which is fine. And I don't, I don't at all mind that. Um, I like description. Kristen's writing things down like a therapist over on the other side of the desk. (laughs) Tell me more about your frustrations.
0: Tell me more.
1: Um, No, I I like description. I like world building. I like all these things in long form storytelling. I don't like it when you have, and I've said this before, as much limited word space as you have in one of these books. When you're having, you know, when you do a, let me see. A two hundred and forty-page book,
0: mm-hmm.
1: your your word economy is much more limited than if you're doing a six hundred-page book.
0: Your book is printed with huge margins. In yeah. my book, in my book, because mine is the all-in-one book, so its space is limited. Uh huh. This is a hundred and twenty-two pages.
1: Yeah. So depending on your uh, your typeface, could be a hundred and twenty-two-page book which even reinforces the point of saying like your your word economy is much more limited and you can't afford to have entire chapters where nothing happens. But anyway, let's get into it. What actually happens here? Um, First, they have to dress Puddle Glum's burnt foot. That's the that's the big issue.
0: Yes, that is, of course, the very first thing that they do. They don't they don't like go and double check that the witch is dead or they cut her head off. Okay, but like they don't like move her dead body or anything like that. Uh huh. They see to the Puddle Glum's burned foot. hmm. They don't like check each other for other injuries.
1: Uh huh.
0: They just check out Puddle Glum's foot. What do they do to Puddle Glum's foot?
1: Um, they make a little sandwich out of it.
0: They put <laughs> butter and salad oil on it.
1: Mm hmm. Which apparently is a thing. Uh, no!
0: You're not supposed to put butter on a burn. Yeah, I know. I've been taught this from a young age because it's apparently been a very common practice for a long time.
1: Yeah, and sunburns especially. I've heard it for sunburns. Yeah. To put butter on them or to not put butter <laughs> on put them? To put butter on them was an old-timey thing. It's like I can just imagine the- You uh, shouldn't do that. I just can imagine the skin breakouts the next day. You I'm shouldn't do butter. that. Yeah, that's, you shouldn't. <laughs> but apparently people thought you should.
0: People have thought you should for a long time. Like, this is something... I've witnessed someone do it before. Yeah. Like, I have watched someone in my lifetime who was cooking burn themselves and just put some of the butter they were cooking with, like, cold, (laughs) onto their burn.
1: I don't know how these things get started.
0: I just... I don't get it. Okay, anyway.
1: Um... And then they have a little refreshment like they've managed up puddle glum's foot and then oh, yeah, they're just they like actually well.
0: have to take what scrub called a breather
1: yep oh well before we're done let's go have some let's go have some tea let's have they some toast
0: ate dinner <laughs> hid while he did his well he got tied to the chair came back out and then fought the witch yeah who had, like, come back in while he was, like, right after they freed him from the chair.
1: Yeah. And then they
0: sat down and ate again. Yeah. Like, realistically, I feel like in storytelling terms, this has been, like, they ate dinner, and then an hour later, they ate second dinner.
1: They're all actually hobbits. Uh, yeah. I've encountered this. I, I I wanted to go back to the first line here. I've encountered this a couple times in the books, and I think it's, it, it's always interesting to point out where, like, lewis makes special note of things that we take as like common english now yeah where he's just like scrub called a quote-unquote breather like this is like some new slang term that the kids are using yep when like that's just like a common phrase that people use i don't know like how old this phrase is yeah maybe at the time it was brand new and he thought his readers wouldn't be familiar with it but anyway so he does that. Um, and then we talk about how to possibly get out. Uh, so there's different paths that go to the surface. There's uh, a path that Rillian has always gone out with the witch uh, via uh, across the sunless sea. Yeah. <laughs> um,
0: across the sunless uh, sea. And so like he says there's multiple accesses to the surface, but all of them are across the sunless sea except the diggings to his new country
1: so you want to sail a sunless sea and breathe the haunted air uh,
0: and sorry, like yeah. this is the first time we've described it as sunless sea like yeah. he refers to it that way and it's the same thing with all of the different mm. names for underland yeah like we finally settled on underland in this chapter and it has stayed underland in this chapter but prior to this chapter it's had like five different names that changed three times in single chapters yeah. Anyway,
1: sorry. Uh, so there's a way that, that way, but that's days away. Also, if they got down to the harbor, the you know. They don't might... know
0: how the Earthmen would respond because the prince has never gone out. Correct. Alone.
1: Might start asking awkward questions. Uh, but then also, they have been digging to try to invade the overland uh, somewhere. On this and, side of and, the sea. And the new diggings are but a few miles away, and they could probably easily get there. Yeah. So
0: And then they would still have to break through to the surface on their own. Yeah. But they could probably do that in what, an hour's time, is that what it says?
1: Is that a few hours? A
0: few hours time.
1: Mm-hmm. Just just below the surface. Uh as long as they weren't discovered. But then there's a noise. A noise. There's there's lots of noises. It gets starts to get uh it starts off gentle, then it picks up and gets louder and it, it becomes a rushing. Up
0: suddenly and 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 do you know who noticed it and decided to point it out? Paddle no! Oh, Scrub interrupted Puddle Puddleglum oh, was trying true. to say something important, uh-huh. like usual. Uh-huh. And all of a sudden Scrub goes, hey, did you hear that? Yeah. Rude. So rude. Such failure in respect.
1: Um, yep. And there's a steady roaring. There's like lots of voices. And then uh, we're like, all right, well, we got to go investigate. Also, there's some sort of great red glow with a reflection.
0: All the way onto the roof of the cavern.
1: Thousands of feet above. Which
0: has probably never been seen before. Wow.
1: Wow. Wow. Really, really big cavern.
0: Now, I do want to point out that this is the first of the non-white, sad light that they've seen outside of Rillian's chambers. Uh Uh-huh. Like, they've encountered Rillian's firelight and all of this gloomy light and there is just some red light out there yeah that is not it's a warm light as opposed to the gloomy sad light that they've encountered so far
1: uh and spoilers um we don't we don't ever find out what the light is in this chapter in
0: this chapter we do not find
1: out um but it's
0: probably a fire
1: i'll speculate on that later uh but it could be the great fires of the earth coming up to do whatever somebody somebody makes reference to possibly being like a volcano or yeah, something. Yeah, somebody that's gonna makes gonna reference erupt.
0: to it being a volcano. Probably puddle them.
1: Yeah, the fires of the center of the earth just coming up and
0: in the center of the disc world Earth.
1: Yeah, that that brings up a whole conversation. <laughs> I mean, obviously, like we've established, it's not a disc world. It's actually like just a flat plane in the center of an enormous crater. Like we, we've we've gotten there. Sure. So it still stands to reason that uh, you know there'd be liquid hot magma down there i mean uh, as
0: we know this is not a narnia cosmology podcast it's however not. i would like to know how a magma flow works on a disc world yeah flat earthers please write us about how <laughs> volcanoes work <laughs> please
1: do how long has been since we checked our uh, podcast email <laughs> Ten, an, an hour okay
0: i i check it almost daily
1: okay do you ever get anything exciting in there
0: I uh, text you screenshots of all of Nathan's emails. Okay. Sorry, of all of the
1: (laughs) (laughs) our myriad fans and how many emails we get every day. We sort through thousands. Anyway, gone are the crowds of Earthmen crowding the streets, and now there are just lone figures darting to and fro and lurking in the shadows, like people who don't want to be seen. Um, But
0: there's a great roaring sound.
1: And it says, I want to point out this line. But the strangest thing of all to anyone who knew gnomes was the noise. Yep. Are gnomes known for being quiet folk?
0: Uh, yeah, obviously. Gnomes are very quiet. Okay. They just stand around in statuesque form.
1: Yep. <laughs> Apparently. All of
0: my interactions with gnomes have been <laughs> entirely one-sided in the dialogue department.
1: I, I just got that. Sorry. It took me a minute to get there. <laughs>
0: I'm uh, glad that you finally caught up. Yeah.
1: Um, <laughs> yeah, they're shifty. Uh, one of the other uh, podcasts that I listen to, because I do listen to other podcasts that aren't ours. It's crazy.
0: You don't listen uh, to ours. You can't even act <laughs> like you listen to ours.
1: I'm there for recording. I know everything that we say.
0: Yeah, but you don't know how I edit it. You don't, <laughs> you don't know how silly I make us sound.
1: I listen to a lot of the bloopers. Um, anyway... <laughs> one of the dnd live play podcasts i listened to uh and in one of the campaigns they the players developed like this deep-seated vendetta against gnomes yeah. because they had a couple poor interactions with them and so like they all just became gnome racists and like would immediately go on guard even seeing one
0: uh-huh um, this
1: makes me think of that um I see. anyway anyway uh, but then, from the harbor, there came a low rumbling roar, which grew steadily and was already shaking the whole city, and the whole thing is coming apart. And and they, as, s-
0: and they look out towards the water. Yeah. And they see ships coming where ships should not be able to come. Yes. So the sea is rising.
1: Yes. Um, and as much as I don't want to attribute anybody getting inspiration from Lewis, other than like um Leonard Cohen and that song he wrote about uh this book yeah um so I have mentioned it before I love this book called The Starless Sea by Aaron Morgenstein uh if you have not read this book and would like to at some point you should skip like the next three minutes because I'm going to spoil a lot of it that being said the uh, this imagery is so reminiscent of part of that book or, like there, or vice versa. Yeah. Where, well, yes, vice versa. But like this idea of there being this underground decrepit harbor that is being sl- swallowed up by this uh, starless sea in an apocalyptic event. Yes. Like, very, very parallels there.
0: Very parallels.
1: Very parallels. And, you know, it's it's close enough that it makes me wonder if... Aaron was Aaron, directly... Yeah, inspired by this scene. Yeah. Read this book as a child and had that stuff in her head or something. Like it's just it's it's very similar. So it is. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> and this
0: is something that I wrote down too when I um saw this hap happen- this this section. Uh-huh. When we got to that moment where the ships are coming and the water is rising, I was like, Oh, we need to talk about the Starless Sea now. Like yeah. we have to talk about it. Because this imagery so far We've, we've seen like the fire, we've heard the noise. These are two things that are, we've seen the red light and we've seen the noise. Uh These are two new things. We're trying to figure out what's going on. And then we see that the water is rising. Yeah. And so we have some very symbolic things
1: Mm -hmm.
0: just from a matter of like elemental things. Yeah. We have what we believe is fire. We have the earth folk making noise and we, all we hear is the noise, of the wind,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: the water is rising. So we have all of these elemental forces involved. Uh-huh. We are watching the water rise. And the ships are coming in. Mm-hmm. And so, like, within the Starless Sea, we have these very symbolic um, characters, images. And we have this harbor, which is where knowledge is kept.
1: Uh-huh.
0: And the sea, the starless sea that this harbor is on, mm-hmm. has receded and is coming back up. And these different things happen.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, relating to that throughout the plot of the book.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and there have been different harbors built over the course of time um, because of the different changing levels of the water. However, that aside, I don't see a ton of parallel imagery from what this sea rising could possibly mean to what the sea rising in the starless sea could possibly mean.
1: Well, that's a that's a whole other episode in discussing what.
0: Yeah, the I mean, imagery like that book. we will have to go, <laughs> go way more into starless sea to break uh-huh. it down. But starless sea has a lot of specific images that are very, very intentionally parallels and blah blah, blah like a very. It's got a lot. It's a dense book when it comes to imagery, and I need to discuss it <laughs> because like. <laughs> There's so much in there that I just, I can't fully suss out.
1: Uh Uh-huh. Bees?
0: Yes. (sighs) Bees, swords, hearts. Uh Uh-huh. All of it. Keys.
1: Yeah.
0: Here, we have these changes Mm -hmm. in the status quo. And the water rising is part of that. Where the status quo is, this is a sleepy harbor on an uneventful, silent, sunless sea. Uh Uh-huh. There's sad light, and there's silence. Uh-huh. And all of those things have been changed.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Where the harbor is not a safe, like lonely, sad harbor now. It's active. The water is moving. There's red light. There's noise. And so I feel like all of these things are symbols of the change that's happening right now that happened immediately when the witch died. Uh-huh. And so there's some kind of enchantment in place. But is that is the water rising I mean this is gonna be for baseless speculation, but is the water rising an attempt from the witch's enchantment that in the event that she died it wipe out the Earthmen? Or was the witch's enchantment to hold back the water? Yeah. To to create this port as part of her subjugation of the people in some
1: Maybe. way. How long has she been down here?
0: Uh, well, more than ten years. <laughs>
1: We can say that for sure. Uh, Anyway, should move on. So the gnomes are darting to and fro. They're making lots of noise. Uh, They notice that there's this flood coming in. It's, like, piling up water like ships are coming in down the streets. Uh, Then they speculate, like I said in my summary, that, uh, and you just said maybe that the witch is dead. She had a bunch of enchantments that's going to bring this place down. It's like a form of revenge or whatever. Uh I also had the thought that maybe like her magic was just holding this place together and like this is like an artificial construct of some kind that wouldn't have been able to exist if she hadn't been. Probably. Like keeping it all going. Um Anyway. Um
0: So as they finally leave, they see that there are no guards at the bottom of the stairs and they enter a great dining hall. Yeah where there is a little Mm pig-like Earthman chowing down on some food, sees them, and and runs away.
1: Yes. Uh, I
0: think that is an important image.
1: The the pig man?
0: The person feasting. Okay. He is sneaking food from a feast table in a very, it's a very let-them-eat-cake moment for me, where we see that this great feast has been laid out for no one.
1: Yeah, I feel like you're jumping way ahead, and we've skipped a bunch of stuff. Have we? Because I don't. Yeah, because you're you're that. They see
0: the ships, and then they go to go outside. They
1: see the ships, then they talk about getting the horses. Yeah. Which cold, but when they go black. to
0: go get the horses, the first thing they do is enter that feasting hall.
1: Uh huh. I've well, skipped
0: a conversation.
1: You skipped the shield.
0: Oh, you're right. You're right. <laughs> well. I want to talk about the symbols of the lifting (laughs) of oppression, and we're going to come back to that. So, shield. Yeah. I included it in my summary. You didn't. I included it in my summary because I thought it was really important Uh because of the role of Aslan and all of this, and this this moment of magic. Uh Uh-huh. Do you think that the shield was Rillian's original shield that had had... Uh, probably a Narnian lion symbol for Aslan. Yeah. And that the witch's magic had turned it black.
1: Entirely possible.
0: Or do you think that it's just a shield that the witch gave him as part of the Black Knight costume and that Aslan has just spontaneously appeared on it?
1: Um, I think the second one, because... Um, he doesn't make it seem like, oh, this is my shield; it's been restored, et cetera, et cetera. It's just like, oh, hey, this was a black shield that I had, but now there's this image of the lion. This is a miracle. Yeah. So it may it, it implies that it's uh it's this magical thing that happens. So like, hey, Aslan's showing up. They finally didn't you know screw it up, and they did something right.
0: They did it right. So
1: <clears throat> Aslan's here to be like, yep, still here. Good job.
0: Do you think that Aslan? Was being repelled by the witch. Like, that that influence was being repelled by the witch.
1: Um, I mean, that depends on how, how much weight you want to give, like, the power and influence of Aslan versus, like, these dark figures in the world. Like, I don't know. I mean... We we got into discussion deep in uh, *Lion the Witch and the North Wardrobe* about like how how much influence the witch really had over Narnia and the Hundred Year Winter and all this kind of stuff that Aslan let happen. Yeah. Or whether she was like actively keeping him out somehow.
0: What about like the ability to resist the enchantment? Rillian really, had no ability to resist the enchantment. He fell into this enchantment, and mm-hmm. we we can acknowledge that that was willingly. Yeah. But he could not escape because of the chair.
1: Yeah.
0: And as long as he was kept in the chair, he was, con- as long as he was kept in the chair, he was being re-enchanted or continuing the enchantment. Yeah. And he, but he struggled against it. He fought against it. He could not escape alone. Aslan had to send the kids to go help him. Yeah. What do you think about that in a, in like a theological sense? And also in terms of the power of the witch's magic to potentially repel Aslan.
1: I mean, it's hard to say. um, Lucy, the Holy Spirit, isn't here, so
0: it's not a direct But to to a certain extent, it feels like Aslan has to stoop to subterfuge to get his goal of rescuing Rillian, who is desperately calling out for help. Mm Mm-hmm in order to get into the witch's, you know, realm and rescue him.
1: Uh-huh. I, don't, I mean, it's it's kind of more of Aslan's unwillingness to act directly, I guess, because he doesn't really do that. Like, he came and, like, killed the witch and lying the witch in the wardrobe, but for the most part, that's the, the only real thing that we've seen him do.
0: He dies.
1: Well, yeah, he dies.
0: He, to protect Edmund. Yeah, He goes to the witch's palace and yeah. frees all of the stone people.
1: Yeah, but even in, like, the—that's that's after the witch is defeated. Like, Aslan shows up after people have already, like, fought the battle. Like, in Prince Caspian, Aslan shows up at the end and leads a little victory tour and frees all the children from school. Uh, but he doesn't actually show up in the battle with Caspian and or with Miraz at any point, like— he shows up at the end and shows up in a guiding kind of way but is always unwilling to actually like...
0: He even sends Bacchus to break the bridge to free the river.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, Aslan is much more of an empowering figure and that's kind of the whole point. Like, could he have gone in and freed Rillian? Sure. But, like, the whole point is sending in Eustace and Jill so they can learn something. I guess.
0: Yeah. Okay. I get that. And and I also get that this is a story written about children for children. Yeah. It's not a story about Narnia. It's also, a story about children being empowered in Narnia yeah. to go defeat a bully.
1: Yeah, but also Aslan let Rillian suffer for 10 years. Yes. <laughs>
0: but is Rillian actually like Adela Pennyfather? father. Like, it's really in, like, a parallel to Adela Pennyfather. And, like, she is some kid at Experiment House who is like, fallen under the influence of the bullies. Mm. And they have to rescue
1: her. Is the witch Experiment House?
0: I think Under... I think, I think Underland might be Experiment House. Uh-huh. But we also... Something I also completely skipped over is this moment where Jill... And Eustace talk to each other and do their little apology.
1: I only they use their names.
0: And they use their Christian names for the first time. Uh-huh. Which I don't think is fully accurate. I think that Eustace has called Paul Jill <laughs> once before, but either yeah. way. It's the first time that they both looked at each other and said their Christian names, their first names to each other because we don't do that at Experiment House. Apparently not. So, like, it's a moment where not only, like... It says, then something happened for the first time and they both looked at each other and apologized. And he goes, they used their Christian names. Not that he's not po- even like trying to emphasize the fact that they both like apologize to each other for being jerks to each other this whole time. Uh-huh. He uses this moment to point out that they use different names for each other. Now, that said, there is a very biblical uh, usage of name change. Uh-huh. And I'm curious what you think the significance of that name difference usage is.
1: Um. So so Eustace is Paul now. Um. Or Jill's <laughs> Paul. Uh-huh.
0: She she was the one who persecuted.
1: Yeah. Um. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to. I I don't want to spend. Uh, a ton of time on this, because I feel like we're really picking at this chapter and getting really into minutia. No, this is uh, all stuff it, <laughs> that I wrote notes on, okay. though.
0: This is all stuff that I actually wanted to talk about. Like, okay. he makes a big point of emphasizing the fact that they used their, own, their Christian names for the first time, and that, to me, even pointing it out, says, hey, you need to notice this as a change in these characters, and not only a change in them, but in how they see each other and how they interact with each other.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's just them... I don't know. Making amends, obviously. Like,
0: I don't... I think that it's yeah. them breaking free of the enchantment of Experiment House, where uh-huh. Experiment House has isolated them from the level of intimacy of using a first name. Uh-huh. And just general human connection. Yeah. And that they now have that opportunity to have human connection, and it's paralleling with Rillian's freedom from the enchantment that isolated
1: him from the world. Yeah, because you know, he can speak again and stuff.
0: He can speak again. He is not stuck in this suit of armor hiding his face from the world. He yeah. can have a human connection again for the first time. He he sees a Narnian for the first time in 10 years. Yeah. And like that, that's profound. And it is a very strong parallel that I think is really important to know because this is also Rillian coming back to himself and his name for the first time in 10 years. Yeah. And it's these two kids coming to each other with their first names for the first time. Mm -hmm. So, I, I don't know. I feel like it was really important, and it's symbolic, and I feel like it really emphasizes the whole point of the book here for these characters' growths and what it is that this story is actually talking about and telling. Yeah. Like, this is the story of this actual book. This whole thing is about these two kids being freed from the control and the enchantment of experiment house
1: yeah what i want to do um and i say i want to do and i will never do because i'll never have the time where i feel like this is like a prudent use of my day um but what i want to do is do like serious research into like the environment of education in england in the 1950s because i feel like there's stuff that uh is in subtext that lewis is very much responding to and railing against and i feel like that's a you know probably a a cornerstone of this book series because he brings up these things several times, especially with Eustace. Uh, And I feel like there's just something there that I feel like we'd get a lot deeper understanding with if we knew the full context behind what he's responding to here. Yeah.
0: I mean, we don't have the educational background in 1950s England to, to fully appreciate that. But I mean, like this may very well be his backlash against them, you know, Teaching Common Core math, like who knows, like the removal of religion from school.
1: Are we Are we gonna get into like Lewis's long division chapter where he's like, no, this is the proper way to divide numbers? <laughs> um. We all had to
0: memorize it this way. You don't need an explanation of why it works that way. Just do it. Do it. Anyway, I'm a big fan of Common Core math. Personally, that's just me. <laughs>
1: uh anyway yeah it, it is a moment i'm not sure how much i like if i sat down and thought about it i could probably come up with more to say i'm just drawing a blank right now on getting there other than yeah this is a key relationship moment for them yeah um but i don't know can come back to that uh but then they leave and then they see the pig man which you can get into because you have a thing about the pig man
0: yeah yeah, yeah. so the pig man as they uh, they discuss getting the horses uh-huh um his horse has a name coal black Coal black.
1: Which seems redundant, but
0: and snowflake. Uh huh. You know. The black horse and the white horse. Yeah. Coal black and
1: snowflake. But is this symbolic of the Umen and the uh the uh divination stones used by the Is it the Levites? Yeah. I think it was the Levites. Um <laughs> anyway. We're we're getting too deep here. Um but the pig like man. You had something to say.
0: So, yes, the very pig-like man, they they go, they head to the stables, and they come down into a hall set up with a bunch of food, a great banquet hall, all these tables decked out with food, and they find an earth man chowing down on food. Yeah. And I feel like, like I said earlier, this is a very reminiscent moment to me of, like, the queen's authoritarian hand, and this Uh very, like, let them eat cake kind of view from the queen to the people. Yeah. Um... Where this pig man has felt the change in the enchantment. And the first thing that he needed to do was to eat. Uh-huh. And he went straight for that banquet table to start eating. And uh-huh. and fled immediately when he saw anybody nearby. Because he knew he wasn't supposed to be there. But this is a moment where just the fact that she died has been felt throughout the land. Enough that like all of these things are happening. And this man just felt the oppression release and he was able to go and eat uh-huh like and it's this very i don't know it's just very to me it just represents all of the oppression that's lifted all of a sudden uh-huh so that that's all i wanted to say about it it wasn't a big thing i pretty much already said all of it before in the wrong order
1: or it could just be like a comic relief moment oh hey look there's a pig eating all the food on the table cool um I'm still curious as to whether all these creatures are, like, the same species or not. Because, like, they're the the varying descriptions of them. Yeah. I don't know. I, I just am so curious about the origins of the Earthmen.
0: Oh, yeah. Absolutely.
1: Um, <clears throat> however, uh, they see that. They try to catch the pig. They don't catch him. Uh, but then they also see fireworks going off, which are obviously, like, some sort of signal. And, like, all the Earthmen are rallying to attack them now.
0: Probably
1: um, probably. that's a reasonable conclusion um, Anyway Even though that At this point none of the earthmen actually Know the witch is dead Like probably they have no not. reason to Know that there's anything wrong Probably true uh anyway the horses got frightened uh but they
0: but we have a heroic moment where jill actually gets to do something
1: she gets she gets to bridle a horse
0: jill knows horses
1: yeah she's a horse girl
0: she gets to bridle the horse yep. and not only that but she gets to ride the horse like eustace jumps behind the prince and puddle glum jumps behind jill mm-hmm. like she is a driver and a mover here. She is the one riding the horse and she is bringing Puddle Glum along.
1: Yeah.
0: Which is great. Like she got to have a little moment.
1: She does. She's a character again. It's yeah, crazy. Yeah,
0: she did something.
1: She after she gets to use her first name even.
0: Yeah. And she <laughs> and she, you know, didn't blub in the last chapter, so she earned the right to be a character yeah.
1: again. She didn't do anything idiotic like blub. Yeah. <laughs> so the city's on fire and also Possibly. a flood. This is like um you know, this A huge apocalyptic event, and they're riding through the streets on horseback through this uh, apocalypse. And they're seeing
0: all these earthmen darting to and fro in the...
1: Uh, Really fantastic imagery. And speaking of fantastic imagery, uh, I have an art in my chapter, which is one of my favorite arts that has been in the books. All right. So it's very evocative, and I like this one.
0: I have a tiny version of this. No, no, no. I have this full... This is my book art for the start of the book.
1: Uh Uh-huh. This is...
0: Um, since mine only has one chapter art
1: uh-huh.
0: per chapter and yours has multiple yeah but this is like the book uh, title page art
1: spoilers <laughs> such spoilers
0: I mean if you don't know what that you're looking at in that picture <laughs> it, it's it's not a spoiler
1: uh-huh also I, I do like how uh, you know how wizardly puddle glums hat looks in this picture yes it's very fitting um anyway uh so they're riding through the fire and the flood and they're going to the direction of uh this red light because hey look there might be something that way uh Aurelian's having a grand old time he sings a ballad about corin thunderfist of arkenland hey call back Yep. Uh, or
0: call forward
1: Yep. Yeah. <sighs> no I, th- I think we've established that we're past that no timeline wise isn't this like the the last the last point in time before the last book timeline-wise, in the order
0: you and I are reading them, yes, obviously. Yeah. But in publishing order, the next book is Horse and His Boy.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah. So we're, we're foreshadowing.
0: Yeah. And this is the second reference to that story as well. Uh-huh. Throughout what we've heard so far.
1: Man, Lewis actually had these planned out or something. It's crazy. <laughs> uh, anyway, so they keep heading toward the noise, and the chorus of shouts and screams and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Earthmen keep darting to and fro, why are they darting about why are they just like skulking in the shadows and like zipping about and like i don't know what are they doing
0: what indeed that's a great question like i don't know what they're doing we don't know what they're doing yeah it's not really revealed what they're doing yeah.
1: i mean i have something dumb and baseless speculation that we'll get into but like but yeah no
0: <laughs> don't know what they're doing not a clue
1: um, anyway, and there's, like, there's a few pages, at least in my, uh, typeface, of them riding through the city, seeing all these things, like, descriptions of the various, uh, gnome and earthmen. It's, like, they call them gnomes, generally. Like, it, it like, they're either earthmen or gnomes. Like, despite them all looking very different, so maybe this is, like, implying that they are the same species, and these are just gnomes, and they just all look weird, and that's kind of how it is. Yeah. Because that's... They're all referred to by the same species descriptor. Yeah. Um, but
0: also, like, up until this chapter, they've all been referred to as Earthmen and gnomes. Yeah. Like, as two separate titles.
1: Yeah. So uh, there's lines like, hundreds, perhaps a few thousands of gnomes were all moving toward it. Uh, this, light like, that they still can't figure out. Yeah. And then Puddleglum is like, oh yeah, these the all these fellows are moving to cut us off from the front. Like they, they're just assuming that all this is about them. Like it's very it's very egotistical, especially a Puddleglum who's just like, Yep, yeah, everything that's happening right now it's about us. Like they the entire city is mobilized to cut us off and are like sending flares up to, you know, coordinate troop movement and whatnot, because like they're all gonna converge on us and kill us except at no point do they ever get attacked going through the city. Like, they encounter groups of Earthmen, like, riding through, and Rillian brandishes his sword to terrify them off. Yeah. But, like, at no point does anybody ever seem like they're going to attack them.
0: Yes, but then they get to this point where it does seem like there is a group of them that is trying to cut them off. Yeah. And actually, like, trying to herd them into some area.
1: Yes. Uh, But then Rillian's like, we need to capture one. Yes. Maybe we'll need to figure out what's going on. Uh, this is the classic D and d party move.
0: This is the classic D and d party move. And since you brought up D and D, this is an important moment for me uh-huh. to point out that we have Puddle Glum change class. <laughs> we have a dramatic change in class from Puddle Glum the bard, as he's been this whole time to the rogue. casting his subtle magic to benefit the party uh-huh. to be in the rogue. yeah. Where he slips off the horse and is described as cat-like. Yeah. And this is the first, like, positive animal imagery <laughs> that's been used to describe Puddleglum. He's been described as spider-like and frog-like and frog-like and frog-like and frog-like. And then he is now described as cat-like.
1: I mean, I like frogs. Like, I ain't nothing wrong with frogs.
0: Yeah, but it's always said in a, in a demeaning way <laughs> uh-huh. throughout the book so far. Yeah. Um... Or even in a diminutive way, where it's not positive, but it's like, oh, my frog-faced friend. Yeah. So we have Glum slip off the horse like a cat. Yeah. And he goes full rogue, and he sneaks up and he gets this guy. Yeah. And he then talks to him.
1: And. Like a charismatic
0: rogue once again. Uh huh. Just kind of had to slip in his one level of rogue.
1: Yeah, and this this line from Martin the from Puddleglem, which I feel like we have to read, captures this thing and says, "Now then, don't cry out before you're hurt, or you will be hurt." See, anyone would think it was a pig being killed. Yes. Like, wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah. He's just like outright just threatens to kill somebody, which uh, seems. He
0: threatens to hurt. He doesn't threaten to kill. He says, "Don't cry out as if you're hurt, yeah. or you will be hurt." Yeah, like you're screaming like like I just cut you.
1: Yeah, but
0: but I didn't cut you. I didn't hurt you, but yeah. I will.
1: Uh, but this is the one they capture with a face like a pygmy hippopotamus. Yes,
0: pygmy hippopotamus.
1: <sighs> but he but he also has a rooster's comb. Yes, Very, But it's hard. Yeah, really weird looking dude. Uh, but they they capture him, uh, interrogate him, and they're just like uh, uh what is his name? He gives his name, doesn't he?
0: No. Otherwise, I would have done that character.
1: Okay. No, he does not.
0: Yeah. I should have introduced myself as a Marsh Wiggle who's tired of being chewed.
1: (laughs) Yeah, they threaten him against biting. uh, And then they're like, hey, what the heck is going on? Well,
0: yeah, and it's the prince who threatens to kill him. Yeah. Speak up like an honest gnome and you shall go free. Play the knave with us and you are but a dead earth man. Wow. Like... Yeah. The Prince Dowrite threatens to kill him, yes.
1: Yeah, they got him terrified, uh, and the gnome's just like, Nope, please don't tell the queen anything I tell you and then really ends like, Yeah, by the way, Crane's queen's, queen's dead, I killed her and then uh the gnome is relieved and is like, Huzzah, the queen's dead? dead.
0: The witch? By your honor's hand?
1: So this kind of confirms that like then in general the gnomes have no idea that the witch is dead. Like there's no ding dong the witch is dead song ringing out like they they just think there's an apocalypse happening and there's floods yeah and so they chuckled once or
0: twice and began
1: yeah so
0: it's gonna start explaining to us what's going
1: on oh look we're gonna have a frame story Um, Yes. anyway so that's what happens in this chapter uh they run away They run through a flooded city, they see lots of stuff that they interpret in a certain way as being aggressive, and then they catch a no. Yes. Is there anything that we can, uh, we should spend more time on, or you think we're...
0: No, I think we're good. Um, The only other thing that I wanted to touch on was this symbolism of the red lion on the shield in relation to England, and Uh Narnia in England.
1: Yeah, obviously.
0: Um, But I didn't we don't need to get into that because we we've touched on the narnia england parallel before and i'm sure we'll have more content for that later
1: yeah well i think i want one last thing i wanted to bring up because you mentioned the names thing um do you think this is another instance of like these earth children going to narnia to find their identity because like we've mentioned the the thing with the pevensies before about them having their titles and like the them developing their royal title, titles and coming into, like, their personality, as known in Narnia.
0: I think that so that's a this big an part idea. of it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, like, they're coming here to find their identity. Like, it, it's still... I think,
0: I think that it's more them finding themselves as they were before.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Like, before Experiment House tainted them.
1: Uh-huh.
0: I think that it's more like that, where it more parallels Rillian's enchantment. Yeah. But, yeah.
1: Cool. It's another coming-of-age thing. Alright, should we move on to our next segment? Sure. Alright, what do we do in this one? I yawn. You yawn. The parents' sleepiest segment. This is uh, Kristen's five-minute nap, where I sit silently as Kristen sleeps through part of the podcast. Um, Uh,
0: What do we do in the next uh, one? I explained the summaries. So this
1: is hashtag Narnia chopped and screwed, and in this one we go back to the chapter and find five more sentences, and we use them to tell our own story, because it's fun.
0: We do, and I'm going to go first. Yep. So that you can tell us your awesome story.
1: You're, you're hyping it up too much. You like, I hyped like it, it
0: up for me. You told because... me that this is the best one you've ever written. No,
1: in a long time. I'm not going to say the best one, but it's really good.
0: Okay. All right. So here's mine. He whistled as he rode and sang snatches of an old song about corn thunderfist of Arkenland. That was my thought too, Puddle lump said the prince. No one could guess what they meant. The marsh slipped off into the shadow as quickly as a cat. Then suddenly from behind them, there broke out a series of blood-curdling screams, mixed with the familiar voice of Puddleglum saying, Now then.
1: So is this like a feud between uh, between Corin Thunderfist and Puddleglum? Is that what we're going for? Or... No, no, okay. no, no, no,
0: no, no. This is Puddleglum being like, Oh yeah, remember how Corrin... Did this? Thunderfist. Did this?
1: Yeah. That was a tri- no, I, I was the trick. I was just adding that in because I thought it was funny.
0: There is something in the story of Corrin where he does sneaky backstabby stuff. And Puddleglum is humming about this. And the prince goes, good idea. I know what you're thinking. And nobody else has any idea what they're talking about. And then he slips oh. off the horse and goes and sneaks somebody.
1: Okay. Cool, cool, cool. I got there. I appreciate it, now.
0: Tell us your story, (laughs) oh master of storytelling and interpretation.
1: (laughs) Here's my story. Friends, said the prince, when once a man is launched on such an adventure as this, he must bid farewell to hopes and fears, otherwise death or deliverance will both come too late to save his honor and his reason. The very first thing they noticed was a great red glow. Then came rumblings and rushings. A magnificent rocket had risen from somewhere beyond the castle walls and broken into green stars. Dead?
0: Fascinating. There you go. So warlike. Such battle. Very Uh, danger.
1: No, this is a story about... uh, really in being jeff bezos and being like i'm gonna get on a rocket ship and oh so it exploded Yeah, and explodes and that's the question mark at the end where it was like dead um jeffrey bezos he he gets he gives this big speech and then gets on a rocket and dies
0: ceo entrepreneur born in 1964 jeffrey jeffrey bezos i thought it was
1: good sorry you didn't
0: I did not get that you meant rocket as in rocket. Oh. Not like, cause the chapter uses rocket as in firework. Yeah. I got it. I just missed that. Cool. I do anyway. really like that first sentence that you used though in the context. I thought it was a very heavy sentence, but I also thought it was a really good sentence about, yeah. Anyway. Cool. Yeah. What do we do next since we've been recording for over an hour now on this chapter uh. with literally <laughs> nothing to say about. I
1: do like Rillian's dialogue a lot. Um. Anyway. <laughs> Uh, what we do next is we go into baseless speculation, which is our final segment, where I have never personally read this book before. I don't know what's going to happen, and so I like to baselessly speculate about where the book is going. And I'm running out of ideas, because there's only three whole chapters left. Uh, and we got to wrap up this whole thing. Um, so this is where I tend to get silly with it. Get silly with it. Um, so here's my baseless speculation, and your thing about the pig man kind of really fits in here. Okay. Um, so we know that... Lady of the Green Curdle, nameless witch that she is. Um, never heard of her. The the other form that she took that we know about is a snake. We don't know if she took other forms, but she's also a snake. Uh, and what do we know about snakes? Well, they like to go and catch live prey. Um, they they <laughs> <laughs> track with me here. Track with me. Uh, they go and they eat critters. Like they catch things live. They eat them raw. They swallow them whole, etc., etc. And we also know that the witch, not in snake form, had the Earthmen just under her rule, you know, just under her thumb, like, she controlled everything that happened down here, was forcing them to dig this hole. Probably controlled a lot about, like, how they lived their lives and whatnot. And because, like, the witch is, like, a narcissist and very controlling, I think uh, that one of these uh, restrictions she imposed on the Earthmen in order to, like, keep them down and, like, quell any you know fear of uh of rebellion or anything was uh she very strictly controlled their diet um and you know made them eat like very bland boring foods that's why they're sad all the time they eat like cave mushrooms and maybe just like raw bats or whatever and like this idea of like cooking things or making food actually like decent uh is just a thing that was forbidden to them because that was going to excite them too much and they'd like have too much energy and motivation to possibly challenge her i mean we also know that she's uh you know very opposed to this idea of like the culinary arts because she doesn't go to the uh the autumn feast of the giants and we know that the giants have a very strong culinary tradition as i mentioned in the the chapter where they're in harfang about the cookbook and everything but she doesn't go she just sends the children and is like nope not gonna go not interested uh so all that being said I think what's happening here, and is emphasized by, like, your pigman thing, is, oh, hey, the witch is dead. Whatever enchantment she's putting over these people is done. They can finally eat normal food again. This pig man is so excited to go eat, like, regular food that's been cooked for Rillian or whoever, and he's just like, yeah, all for it. And I think what's happening here in the center of the city is this giant red clo, just a massive, massive barbecue pit. And they're getting ready for a feast. And they're like, we can finally, like cook actual food, which is dead. That's why everybody's darting to and fro between houses. Like, they're collecting whatever ingredients they've stashed away and spices they can find because they are all getting ready for, like, this big 4th of July party. Uh, and they're going to go to the center of the city, and they're going to have themselves a feast. So it's a big cookout. <laughs> big cookout. Big gnome cookout. That's what's going on in the center of the city. Um, realistically, though... <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I think I'm struggling to come up with an explanation for what the red glow is that's not boring because like we, we established that the gnome they capture doesn't know the witch is dead. So it's not like it's something the gnomes are all gathering to do, um, in reality because the witch is dead and they're doing something. So this is just something they're doing separately from that. Uh, they're all rushing toward this big glowing thing away from the flood for some reason. It's a thing that wasn't there before, so I don't know. I. It seems like the gnomes are heading that direction, so they probably know what it is, and they don't think it's something that's dangerous. Yeah. So the idea of it being like a volcano or something I think is wrong. Yeah. Because they're all rushing toward it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Maybe, maybe a hole opens up in the center of the city that leads to the other side of the disc world. <laughs> and what the red glow is like light coming from the other side. Hmm. And we finally get to see what the other side of Narnia is all about.
0: Well, the title <sighs> of the next chapter is The Bottom of the World. Yeah.
1: So we could flip over. Maybe that's where the gnomes are from. Maybe they're they're aliens from the other side of the Disworld of Narnia. Huh. And they they've, Saying that they've been trapped are from here.
0: Australia are
1: aliens. <laughs> yeah. And they've been trapped here and they can finally go home because like that's the other side and that's what's over there. If it is. I'll be so disappointed because this could single-handedly just destroy my crater Narnia theory. Yes. And I'll be so upset if that's true. Yeah. But uh, anyway, that's my, that's my baseless speculation. That's what I got.
0: All right. I have nothing else to add. So let's wrap this up. Thank you listeners so much for joining us today. As we discussed chapter 13 of the silver chair. Please join us next week as we discuss Chapter 14, "The Bottom of the World." In the meantime, you can communicate, interact, or otherwise, you know, engage. That's the word that we use in the in the media spheres. You can engage with us on social media at Chronically Podcast on Facebook and Instagram at Chronically Pod on Twitter, or you can email us your fan art of a pygmy hippopotamus. At chronicallypodcast at gmail.com. Don't
1: forget to include the uh Roosters cr- yeah, thing. Yep. Calm.
0: And think, um, you can also support us financially at patreon.com/slash chronicallypodcast, where you can buy us coffee for a day or something.
1: You know, we're actively starving right now, we need your support. <laughs> That's a joke. Yeah, it is.
0: Yes, <laughs> <guess> it is. <laughs> I got it. Uh-huh. Just in case anybody else didn't get it. It was a joke. Yeah. You, If you also can't get enough of our voices, you can find us at Carpe DM. It's a live play D&D podcast that Chris hosts DMs and edits and all of that. And I am a player in. And... You can also call me at this number. No. <laughs> <laughs> and until And until next time, don't put butter on your burns.
1: <laughs> and uh, even when the floodwaters are rising, don't forget Cold Black.
0: Black. He's a good horse. See you. Bye. This chapter is titled. <laughs> I am Corinne Thunderfist. (laughs) You
1: can't do that! Oh yawn. You yawn. The princess sleepiest segment. This is uh, Kristen's five-minute nap, where I sit silently as Kristen sleeps through part of the podcast. Can
0: I have that thing I just dropped?
1: (sighs) Interrupting this podcast, so... No, I can't reach it from my side at all. Bees? Do
0: it. Do you know where mansplainers get their water? <laughs> where, Kristen? Oh, well, actually. <laughs> Can you
1: talk about your freaking story?
0: I think that Eustace has called pool, Pole. I think that Eustace has called pool Jill once before, but... But to a certain extent, it feels like Aslan has to s- s- like stoop to sub sub-dre- sub subterfuge. It's an easy word to say. Yeah. Stoop to subterfuge. It feels like Aslan has to stoop to sub <laughs> sub sub. How, how, how's the word spelled?
1: Subterfuge. Subterfuge.
0: Subterfuge.
1: Subterfuge. It's S-U-B-T-E-R-F-U-G-E. Subterfuge. Let's
0: try that a lot
1: slower. Uh, S-U-B. Like a normal person <laughs> is listening to you. It's Subterfuge. S-U-B-T-E-R.
0: subterfuge. Fuge. Yeah. Subterfuge. Yes. Okay. It does, to a certain extent, feel like Aslan has to stoop to subterfuge,